Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. As we turn our attention now to this third saying, you might have noticed that we've moved from Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, to today, you'll be with me in paradise, to this third saying, which at first glance almost seems cruel. It nearly seems like, what is Jesus getting at here? But I think once we dig into this a little bit, you'll see that this is perhaps one of the most tender and personal things that Jesus says ever in the entirety of what is recorded in the New Testament that he spoke. Beautiful words, again from the cross, the third saying, verse 25, and now there stood by the cross... Of Jesus. Remember, we saw three crosses, two thieves. Jesus is the focal point of this whole scene the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary. Magdalene. So there are four ladies. We're not told about any of the apostles or the disciples. In fact, we know that they are not there, except for John. But there are three ladies named Mary and Mary's sister. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, Pay very close attention to the words that follow. And the disciple whom he loved standing by, John not wanting to embarrass himself, simply says the disciple whom Jesus loved. That would be John. He said to his mother, so Jesus acknowledges that his mom is at the foot of the cross. But notice what he says. Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, that would be John, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple, who would be John, took her into his own home. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the beauty, the tenderness, the incredible care, and the exposure of the universal need for all of us to call Jesus Lord. Father, thank you that this passage acknowledges the fact 
that Mary, the mother of Jesus, needed her son to be Savior more than she needed him to be son. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us through this time we'll spend together. We acknowledge you as King and Lord of our lives. Bless your word as it is imparted to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. And it is the question. If you ever want to know what the central question of the Bible actually is, I'm going to give it to you right now. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You see, that is the question that every human being will have to answer. It's not, was Jesus a historical figure? That's really not debated by very many people. Was Jesus good? Also not debated by very many people. Was Jesus, in fact, a real character? Also not debated by very many people. If you were a Hindu, you would say Jesus was a real prophet. If you were a Muslim, you would say Jesus was a real prophet. Most cults acknowledge that Jesus was a real historical figure. The question is, not was Jesus a real person, but who is that Jesus to you? There can only be one answer. There's someone in this story who might possibly have a different answer to that. And so we want to look at what Jesus now is saying when he says, Woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. The answer to this question determines where you're going to spend eternity. And if you look at the biblical narrative, Pilate understood that Jesus was someone who was at least important in his day and time. He was Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. That's who Pilate said he was. Now here's the thing that starts to compound as you read through the biblical narrative. That's actually true. He was, Jesus, the historical figure, son of Mary and Joseph, who had brothers and sisters, who lived in Nazareth. That's true. The Jewish people, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, began to declare him as king. Also, another truth, he's king of the Jews. The Bible actually says that as well, speaks of him as Messiah. The coming one. That's true. But is that all Jesus is? To the religious leadership of the Jewish people, they believed Jesus was a blasphemer. That's who they thought he was. He had said a number of things that didn't fit their religious narrative of what should be said out of the mouth of someone who was Jewish. 
So was the placard over Jesus' cross wrong? No. But was it telling you everything? Also, no. According to those religious leaders, had Jesus said something they didn't like? That's also true. So in their view, he was a blasphemer. From God's view, he wasn't. From man's view, he was. So when Pilate inscribes that title, and he writes it in Hebrew and Greek and Latin, he's making sure that everyone who walks down that road to Damascus and into the Damascus gate, into the old city of Jerusalem, would have understood that this man is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And he does it in the language of commerce, the Greek language. He does it in the language of government. does it in Latin. He does it in Hebrew, the Jewish, the Jewish native tongue, the language of religion. They actually partially called Jesus a blasphemer because he didn't refute what Pilate said. And Pilate actually said to them, no, what I have written, I've written. The Jewish people didn't like that. Matter of fact, when Jesus is on the way to the cross, they were objecting to the fact that that title was given to him. So now that he's on the cross, they're really upset by it. Actually, even John, who's standing there, has a fairly interesting perspective of all of this. Because John, as he writes this particular gospel, just a few verses before where we started, you might notice, and then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts. A part to every soldier, also the tunic. And now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, And so they said to one another, now imagine you're a Roman and you're putting someone to death for a Jewish religious reason. Do you think you're really going to care about what the tunic is like? You think you're going to be overly concerned with the clothes of a dying man? The answer is pretty much no. And yet they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. And John actually reminds us that the 22nd Psalm says that very thing about Messiah. David wrote those words a thousand years earlier. And here are some Romans that if they thought they could do something to make this whole scene a bit more of a mockery, they surely would have. But they fulfilled scripture in the fact that they did not tear up Jesus' tunic. John understood that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. But can that save you? What is that scene from the foot of the cross that we're really looking at? Because they all saw the same thing. It's why the gospel is so profoundly simple. 
You see, sometimes I think we as the church make the gospel awfully complicated. It's like, here are the things you need to do to be saved. Actually, there's only one thing in the entire Bible that is mandatory for you to be saved. It is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what the Bible actually says. Anybody else thankful that's that simple? Because if we could mess it up, we surely will. So we turn it in, well, you got to, you go to a Pentecostal church? (gasps) You don't read out of the King James Bible? (gasps) You haven't been to a new believers class? (gasps) Now, all those things can be good, right? To some degree, maybe even necessary for a part of your growth. But Jesus is being very specific right now. This is what he wants people to remember as the last things he said before he dies. They're important. Standing there with him is Mary, his mom. Think about that for a second. There's going to be an exposure of the data that's been gathered over this last couple of months, that tragic shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And in that courtroom today are the parents of those children that were murdered. You think maybe they had a vested interest? You think maybe their hearts are just absolutely rent right now? You think those teachers that gave their lives, their loved ones aren't in the same place? Now imagine that your son, like those children, completely innocent, is being publicly murdered over a period of six hours. And you get to watch him die. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing Mary could do for Jesus. The son that she raised... The son whose swaddling claws she changed. The son that said to her, Mom, Dad, I must be about my father's business. The son that now hangs on the cross in front of her, that's had abuse hurled at him, that's had his garments divided who doesn't even look human. And Jesus is going to speak directly to her. And he doesn't call her mom. There's a reason for that. You see, like it or not, whether you grew up in a home to where Mary was deified 
Mary's not God. She's not the co-redemptrix. Beyond the fact that she bore Jesus physically into this world, Mary was a sinner who needed a savior. And that is proved in this passage. Because Jesus takes a very specific line when he says to her, Woman, behold your son. So important that we get this. Because if Mary didn't need a savior, then you can be saved by works. If Mary didn't need Jesus to be her savior, then you can be saved some other way. And Jesus is not the way and the truth and the life. And you can come to the Father some other way. Jesus is settling that issue right here at the cross. The truth of the matter is Jesus is Lord of all, including Mary. Including Mary. She had no special position in the eternal things. Worthy of our honor because of who she is? Oh, absolutely. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to disrespect Jesus' mom. It's probably not a wise idea. But she was nonetheless Jesus' mom. She was not the co-redemptrix. There was nothing about her The Bible actually declares that she was just an average woman upon whom God's favor rested. The reason Jesus says this is Mary needed a relational reset. Mary needed to recognize who she was in this very moment because in this moment, if she does not realize that she needs Jesus as her Savior more than Jesus as her Son, then perhaps that relationship will stand between her and eternity. This is so important for us. If you're here and you're a parent today, there can't be anything between you and your Jesus, not even your kids. God doesn't mean you abandon your kids. It doesn't mean that you don't agonize over your children. It doesn't mean that you don't do everything humanly possible to take care of every need that is yours to take care of. But your children can't save you, and you can't save them. They need Jesus just like you need Jesus. They're little sinners who need a Savior. Amen? Don't get in the way of that. Don't let your parental role stand between your children and Jesus. I've watched parents give in to an awful lot of things because they don't want their children to think evil of them. When the thing that they're doing is potentially damning their children to not knowing Jesus as Lord. 
Jesus himself tears down that structure right here with his own mom. And the mystery of the incarnation, the eternal Christ, becomes a helpless child, amen? Now, I've been a pastor for going on four decades. The reason that's important to me is I still don't quite get it. People ask me, well, you know, God became incarnate. He, he's God in human flesh. There's going to be a lot of questions when we get to heaven. Amen? I don't know about you. When I get to heaven, I'm going to I really never got the whole incarnation thing. Now, I can explain it to you in a lot of different ways to try and help you understand it a little better, maybe, than perhaps you understand it. But I can't understand that aspect of it. But I know when Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, he was already God. He was never less than God. He was a God that needed diapers. Hey, think about it. Let's get real here, folks. Now, if anybody understands why God needs diapers, I, I don't get that. I'm going to say something that might just really mess with you. Jesus had B.O. He needed deodorant. He used the toilet. Jesus was a man in every way, shape, or form. And that man had a mommy. But that didn't mean just because they were related that Mary was saved. And this is really important because there's an awful lot of people that take that basic thought and they say, well, my mom and my dad are Christians. I grew up in a Christian home. I've been going to church since I was four. Let me shock you. Going to church doesn't save you. Your mommy and your daddy being Christians doesn't save you. You having a long lineage of pastors in your family doesn't save you. Unless you call on the name of the Lord, you will not be saved. Even if you're Jesus' mommy. So this is a really important passage for a relational reset for every person that's listening right now. Because you can know about Jesus. You can be related to people who are really close to Jesus. You can hang around with people who are really close to Jesus. And unless you have known Jesus personally, you're still lost. Jesus is making that point himself. Because he doesn't want anybody to think that just because Mary was his mommy... She got a free pass on the Lord thing. Remember last week? You see, when you cry out to Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. But not until you cry out to Jesus as Lord will you be saved. That puts us all on a very level playing field, doesn't it? So no matter who you are, 
whether you grew up not even knowing about church or whether you grew up in 10 generations. My family built that church. Those pews my grandpa built and our names on, in our Baptist church growing up, we had name plates on the end of the pews. It's like, you know, it's the family pew. We donated to this so that we could have our own pew right there. Now, I'm not shaming that, but if you think a brass nameplate saves you, you're in trouble. If you think because your family had a hand in building the church, you think that saves you, you're in trouble. If you've given 20% of your income to the church and you think that saves you, you're in trouble. If you spent your entire life doing good things for other people, that that can save you, you're in trouble. Until you recognize you need a Savior and cry out to Jesus as Lord, that is the only way anyone's ever saved. Ever. Ever, church. Don't make that complicated. Because if you do, you may be helping someone think they already know Jesus because they're an American. Think about it. Think about it. Or they're already a Christian because fill in the blank. Every other relationship on this earth is insufficient to save you except for Jesus Christ is my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Simeon, in his prophecy about the child, Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, said this, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, a sword will pierce even your own soul. He's speaking to Mary directly. Your child is appointed to a very special purpose, but he will pierce your soul. Guess what's happening at the cross? Mary is watching her son bleed out on the cross. Mary is watching Jesus heave his chest up trying to catch a breath on the cross. Mary's looking at the dried blood on her son's face on the cross. Mary sees the skin of his lips peeled from the sun on the cross. The same sun that she held in her arms is now on the cross and she can do absolutely nothing. If I'm tearing at your heartstrings, it's on purpose. I think most of us can identify with that type of parental pain, at least to some degree. Some of us may be to a like degree. But even that pain, that piercing through of the soul with that sword of the agony that Jesus is dying, the death of a criminal on the cross, even that can't save you. Is it noble? Absolutely. 
Is it normal? Absolutely. Is it the response of any parent in a general sense? Yes. But Jesus is saying, that's not enough, Mom. I know you want to take me down from this cross. I know you want to tend my wounds. I know you hate watching me like this. I know, I know, I know, I know. We're not told what Jesus says in its entirety, but we can get a pretty good idea by what he says to her. The sword is revealed in actually one word, woman. Woman. Jesus doesn't address his mom as mother. He doesn't even acknowledge the fact. He says, woman, behold your son. Your son this day dies. Your son this day is going to be taken from you. The relationship between you and me is about to change. You brought me into this world. I want to bring you into the next one. Amen? Praise the Lord for what's said here. There is only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, including Mom, Mary. No shortcut. No free pass. No, well, except for you, Mom. I mean, after all you've been through, No, Jesus was actually reminding her of what he had said. I must be about my father's business. After Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he begins his teaching ministry and he comes back to Capernaum and he goes back home to Nazareth, you might remember that Mark's gospel basically seems to indicate that his neighbors thought Jesus was having a nervous breakdown. He'd gotten a Messiah complex. And so the whole family comes. It's like they're trying to talk Jesus into coming down off of this thing. It's like, you know, what's going on with you? Matthew's gospel in chapter 12 records it this way. That crowd says, your mother and your brother are outside wanting to see you. And Jesus spoke to that crowd in Matthew 12 and said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? He says, behold, my mother and my brethren. He says, these are my physical family. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my mother and my sisters and my brother. Amen? 
So he's downplaying the relationship of his own family even at that time. Why? Because the kingdom of God is filled with a very large family. It's those who have named the name of Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So that's every person in this room that's done that. That's why the Bible calls us brothers and sisters. That's why we are the family of God. That's why the allusion to marriage and the bride of Christ. All of those things are superior to your earthly relationships. Doesn't mean that your earthly relationships don't matter. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying here. It simply means that your relationship with Jesus must be the superior relationship. Everything else is underneath that. And if you get that right, then you'll see your mom and dad in heaven. You'll see your children in heaven. You'll see the rest of your family and your friends in heaven because it becomes gospel-centric at that point in time. When you declare that Jesus is Lord and you share that message, you don't waver from it. When you say, I'm sorry, son, but just because you've gone to church does not mean that you know Jesus personally. I've had the privilege of baptizing my own boys. That's rare. And I thank God for that. But they're saved because they cried out to the Lord. They're not saved because dad is a pastor, because mom and dad have been in ministry their entire... My children have not ever known a day of their life where we were not in full-time ministry. They were literally born into the church. But they needed Jesus, just like we need Jesus. Just like Mary needed Jesus. Church, I want to challenge you because there's a lot of people floating around in our world today that don't get this very principle. Everyone needs Jesus. Amen? You don't get a free pass. You don't get to skip that part. It's not by osmosis. I don't know how many of you, probably sometime around the fourth grade, or you did the celery experiment in your fourth grade class to where you take a stalk of celery and some food color and you put it in water and you watch the, the coloring be drawn up in, into the fibers in the, in the celery. That's a process called osmosis. Simply immersing the celery in the colored water will make the celery receive that coloring. Now here's the problem. You can be immersed in Jesus the whole time, but it doesn't mean you're a believer. It doesn't mean that you have personally accepted Jesus Christ. It simply means that you're now colored with some Jesus. The question is, have you believed on the only begotten Son? There couldn't be any rivalry in that area. We're all the same distance to the Savior. Isn't that amazing? When you cry out to Jesus Christ, 
you're just as saved as I am. You have a mansion in heaven just like mine. You've got a reward waiting you for those things done good in this body. There's no class structure in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Think about it. This, this applies to the totality of the kingdom, this principle. When you get to heaven, it's going, oh man, I can't believe I have to live there. <laughs> I had a guy actually ask me that. We used to joke, it's like, yeah, well, I'll be kind of over there in the back somewhere. There is no back. There's no front. There's no good part of heaven and not so nice part of heaven. There are saints in the fullness of the joy of the glory of the Lord. Amen? You're just as welcome in the king's kingdom as I am. Interesting thing about the rewards that we see is Paul describes them at the Bema seat there in 2 Corinthians. It appears that whatever rewards we get, we just give back to the king anyway. So it's like you you get that crown for those good works done in this life, and what do you do with it? Here, King Jesus, I don't deserve to wear this in your presence. You give it back. So I'd love to have some things to throw at Jesus' feet and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. But at the end, we're going to share eternity together. All based because we have believed on his name. And so Jesus, to that end, gives up his relationship with Mary as his mom and says to her, if you need a mom and you need a dad, John, you need a mom. Mary, you need a son. So you two come together. While you're here on earth, you, you take that relationship here. And John, you, you be the son that my mom needs. And Mary, when you need a son, that's going to be John because I'm going to be both of you. I'm going to meet you as Lord. So I'll be your Lord. You take care of the earthly relationship. I'll take care of the heavenly one. That's the importance of this passage. And in that sense, Jesus became a substitute for both of them. John needed a Savior. All three Marys needed a Savior. We all need a Savior. And church, this shows you how much Jesus wants to provide for whatever you have need of as well. There's a little hidden detail as we wrap this up. Mary was going to be hurting for a long time. And she actually was going to need a substitute son. That was going to be John. And John was going to need somebody to, Mom, I don't know what to do here. She, he was going to need a mom. And so Jesus takes their pain and takes their sin and actually still provides for the earthly things that they have need of. This is amazing. He doesn't disregard their actual earthly needs. He just says, your bigger need is the heavenly thing, but I'm going to take care of your earthly needs as well. Hallelujah. Because he knows what you have need of. 
And the scripture plainly declares that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Maybe you need a substitute son. Maybe you need a substitute mom. Maybe you need a substitute dad. Maybe you need financial help. Maybe you need a new job. Maybe you need all kinds of things. There's needs in your life. Jesus knows what you have need of before you do. And he not only wants to save you, but he wants to provide for you. And he does it perfectly. We find no record of Mary going, I don't like him. Or John going, your mom, she lives in Nazareth. Can anything good come of Nazareth? Jesus cut himself off from a mother's love to provide for our salvation. In other words, he was the suffering substitute for each of us. What Mary learned that day, prayerfully, we have all learned. He basically says, John, take care of my mom. I have somewhere to go. I have something I need to do. I'm going to go from this cross to a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And you can't follow me there, but my mom is still going to need help. Would you help her? Mom, you're going to want a son. When those days come and you just need to touch somebody, John will be there for you. You can rest in that. So as he terminates the one relationship, he opens up the whole new relationship as Savior, as Lord. And when it was all said and done, as Jesus was laying in the tomb, John had what he needed. Mary had what she needed. And Jesus was going to do what we all needed, which was rise on the third day. Amen? That's the message that the church still has to share with the world. In that sense, as Jesus substituted himself for us on the cross, we now substitute for his substitution. In other words, we stand in. We tell people, you need Jesus. We share the good news of the gospel so that men can be saved, women can be saved, so that those who don't know the truth can know the truth and the truth can set them free. We're just simply carrying on the family tradition. Look, I'll forgo these things. That's why the Apostle Paul said it so correctly. Perhaps for the good one, good man, someone would dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. There in Romans 5. You see, that was the needful thing. It's still the needful thing. It's still the message of the church. You know, frankly, sometimes I get, well, let me just say it. I get upset. When I see churches lose the gospel focus, it's like that is the message of the church. 
If you don't carry that message, the, I don't care how much social reform you do. You can reform the whole world socially, but if people don't know Jesus, they're still lost. Now, the reason I say that is social reform is necessary. It's good. But you've got to put the first thing first. First things have to be first. And that is to make Jesus known so that people can be saved. We lose sight of that, then we'll do all kinds of probably good things that will leave people dead in their trespasses and sins. So the answer to the question, who is Jesus to you? He was my substitute on that cross. He died in my place. I have believed on his name. He is now my Savior. He is my Lord. And now I tell the world about that good news. Because that's what saves. Is the good news. Amen? Let's stand. So worship team comes back out. If you need prayer after service, if you don't know Jesus... If you haven't yet confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, that needs to happen. Because you can get the greatest job in the world, have the nicest house, the best car, money in the bank till you can't spend it all. You can have all of the world's riches and still have nothing unless you have Jesus. So after service, right there in the prayer room, just go over and say, I want to know Jesus. What do I need to do? There's a whole team of people who love to pray with you. But it's real simple. Confess you're a sinner and invite him in because he wants to be your Savior and your Lord. Father, thank you. Lord, we collectively thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. And we pray now for those that might even be responding in their heart or their mind and they're saying yes to you being their Savior and Lord. We pray that you would work mightily, God, to save those who are lost even this day. And Lord, for those of us that have maybe mixed up that message, put us back on track. Lord, set our feet on solid ground, the gospel ground, Lord, that we might preach the good news of the gospel until you come and get us as your church or we go home to meet you. Lord, thank you that no relationship on this earth can supersede the fact that you are our Savior and our Lord. And so we thank you for that. We pray that you would instill that truth upon us, that we would live it, Lord, that we would be the substitute in this world for what you did for us on the cross. God, would we be busy about our Father's business as you were? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.